Well, good morning. My name is Solomon Kim, and uh, it is great to be here. Um, it's great to be uh, worshiping in person, something I have not been doing uh, all that too often. Um, and I must say, I was very impressed by that bell uh, which began this service. I, I really need one of those at home. And um, uh, Pastor uh, Troy has been a great friend of mine. I would not be surprised if he built that bell himself. I know he is not only a man who loves the Lord and loves the church, a man of many gifts. And he's been a great friend to me. His family has been a great friend to us. And so it's a real uh, joy to be with you all this morning. Um, as uh, Dale mentioned, uh, I work in campus ministry uh, with a ministry called RUF at MIT, which uh, was a great school, but these days more or less just an online trade school. <laughs> um, and I've uh, really, um, really appreciated the song this morning. Um, hope I'm, I don't butcher it. It said something like, may, may we see the light of Christ by the acts of love and our deeds of faith. I think that's actually very fitting with what I want to share. And also, the Old Testament reading in Jeremiah 17, I actually wonder if my sermon fits that passage more than the passage uh, I want to read, uh, which is from uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 6, verse 43 and 49, um, page 863 in your pew Bibles. So if you have that, if you would... A stand for the reading of God's word. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. You may be seated. Let me uh, open this up. Uh, with a with a word of prayer, our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, which is living and active, good and true. We thank you for these words that we just heard, which your Son taught uh, to his disciples. He preached these words so that we may know him more, that we may see his beauty and his love. Help us to believe these things, to trust you, that we might obey. In your son's name we pray, amen. Well, um, uh, I will never forget the 
evening of March 9th. It was a Monday night. We do our campus ministry gatherings on Monday nights. And, you know, we started this ministry in the fall of 2015, and we'd meet in the student center in one, one of the rooms. And for the first time, we rented out the chapel. The MIT chapel is in the middle of campus. It's just like, it's kind of like this, except it's a, it's, it's a circle. What is this, a octagon or something? Um, and we, we met there. Now, you know, there's a lot of buzz around this kind of new coronavirus at that time. This was Monday. This is the week everything kind of shut down. Um, and we had our very first worship night uh, on the chapel. And, um, you know, I'll never forget that week. Exactly, not exactly, but less than 24 hours later after we had our last meeting. This is the last time we, we met in person. Uh, we are um, remote university fellowship now. And uh, you know, just the next day, you know, big announcement, everyone's going to go home. And, you know, I'll never forget that night. And, you know, it's, it's some really sweet memories. Um, and, you know, the chapel is a, is a very interesting piece of architecture. It's designed by a guy named Eero Saarinen, who's, he's kind of well known for a few things at St. Louis Arch. He, he also did our, the auditorium at MIT. And, Around the cylinder is actually, it's a literal moat. And you know, on a campus which uh, esteems the sciences and math and engineering and so forth, I do wonder if that, if again, this is just my kind of interpretation of the piece of art, this building. I do wonder if there's a, a message there that like, sacred kind of holy religious places there's a barrier around these things you know this moat is uh it's i i don't I actually can't tell you another building i know that has a moat around it and um you know mit is very much a, a secular bubble it's a secular bubble not in so much in the sense of like religion is bad, but more so that like, religion is actually not all that useful. Um, it's a secular bubble in, in, in the sense that, you know, what we humans can accomplish with hard work, with, with, with the deep exploration of the world through science, through innovation, what we can accomplish, we could actually uh, help humanity flourish. We can actually help our environment to be sustainable. Um, and it's not so much that like we've got, you know, you know, we're, we're able to do things that, you know, religion actually poses a threat. Actually, religion is actually very neutral in this sense. You know, there's very much freedom of religion, I believe, at, at, at a place like MIT. Um, certainly, Christianity has its own kind of for lack of a better term, baggage, you know, in kind of, you know, the culture of, of MIT. And uh, certainly the Christian moral system, um, it, it's, it's problematic to suggest that the Christian moral system is a universal good for, for people. You know, religion is certainly has the benefits of community, of heritage, things like that. But the Christian moral system it seems, again, this is not 
kind of what the Bible says or what I'm saying, but this is kind of the reputation it has. It, it boils down to a set of bad things that we're trying to avoid doing. That um, they represent not so much what is good, but what we are against. These are, these are the really bad things we should not be engaged in. So Christianity is at best neutral. At worst, it's actually immoral, since Christians don't stand for good things, like justice or social progress or the care for the environment. And, and a myriad of other good things. Jesus actually spent some time addressing this problem. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, numerous times he would begin a, a new point in the sermon saying, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you that. And, you know, where, whereas the Ten Commandments is, eight of them are actually negative commands, Jesus, Jesus teaches the law saying that every single moral command actually has positive implications. Uh, and he says here at the end of what is uh, called the Sermon on the Plain, that like it's, it's not just enough for you to confess Jesus is Lord and stay out of trouble. You actually have to do some good things. You actually have to do something. The moral law, to read about this, you know, Sermon on the Mount kind of unpacks this a little bit better, better. Religious folks tend to take these things and use it in a way to validate ourselves. Um, use it to come up with new lists of things that we don't struggle with. Um, and here at the end of the Sermon on the Plain, uh, which ends kind of in a not so happy uh, way, Jesus uses uh, arboreal and construction language to suggest that being a Christian is more than just verbal self-profession that Jesus is Lord and staying out of trouble. You actually have to do good things. Now, what are those good things? I think this is the third sermon in uh, the Sermon on the Plain. I actually went back and listened to Pastor Troy's messages, and you know he covered these things. They're, they're actually very hard to do. I think the last week's sermon title was Impossible Love and Mercy. These are the good fruits we are called to produce. To love not just those who love us back, not just our friends, but to love those who hate us, who criticize us. Uh, to be so generous that we are giving to people who will never be able to repay us, financially and in other ways. That when we are wronged, uh, we offer mercy. Uh, that when people curse us, we are actually to bless them. This is what Jesus is saying in this, in this sermon. And there is no equivocation here. These, these, are, these, are, these are the plain words of Jesus, no, no, no pun intended. Um, these are not just hyperbole. You actually have to do them. And he would end uh, with this, you know, these are kind of a, parables, um, proverbs in the sort, you know, this tree construction, house construction illustrations. And he ends by, by, by saying that if you fail to apply these things, 
you're actually a fool and your life will end in destruction. And so Jesus gives this sermon to his disciples and he knows, and this is where the Jeremiah passage is very, very insightful. He knows the deception of our hearts, how we twist things to make ourselves feel better, to vindicate ourselves, how we excuse ourselves from actually having to do certain things that are very hard for us, uh, how we keep and emphasize those things that we are good at, how we extract other things that we struggle with. And at the end of the day, we get into this rhythm where we actually believe we're all, not all that bad. And that's how we take God's law and instead of being challenged by them and it showing us our need for a savior, we take these things. And so Jesus gets right to the point here. Um, that it's not so much about staying out of trouble. He wants our lives to be like his. And I don't know you know, I don't know exactly what you all are going through right now. Um, I know this past year has been um, hard, uh, a, a year of r real loss and change. And, um, and you know, I think the, the, the pain and exhaustion of, of this pandemic um, you know, and also in a sense that being coupled with great social upheaval, a political division um, around uh, issues like racism, violence, mass shooting, to mask or not, to vaccine or not, a lot of these things, we can find ourselves wondering if, if it's in our best outlook to, to just, just try to ride the storm and stay out of trouble and survive. Like, Actually, one of my colleagues um, was, he was essentially let go, fired, for some controversial things he said a year ago after um, the George Floyd shootings. And, you know, it was a, it was a real kind of wake-up call, and it's, it's, it's a real scary moment. Um, and, you know, throughout this year, I've, you know, really kind of processed with friends and saying, you know, it's just, this is just, crazy times right now, I just, I just want to make sure I don't say anything dumb or do anything dumb and just survive and just wait till this is all over. Um, I think there's a real temptation to just kind of um, passively obey. Uh, I think there is a, a, a temptation to be complacent with passive obedience. Um, Jesus calls us to more than just passive obedience. Because neither did Jesus just passively obey. He actively obeyed. Um, what is God asking of you today? What has he called you to in this season of life? that you might be faithful and fruitful. And so what Jesus is saying here at the end of the sermon is that it's not enough to just listen. We must produce something. We must do something. 
but not just anything. Jesus calls us to specific kingdom ethics. He speaks of good trees producing good fruit and bad trees producing bad fruit. Seems pretty fair and logical. However, and here's the problem here, the suggestion that, okay, what this means is that only Christians do good things, uh, non-believers do all the bad things, um, uh, that only Christians are capable of doing good things. I think there's, um, first of all, that, that kind of defies basic observation of people. Um, I, 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 I'm not sure that's, that's the point of what Jesus is saying. Um, we all know people, friends, family, neighbors, who do not bow their knee at the name of Jesus and do good things. They're faithful in their marriages. They love their children. They uh, uh, give back to community. They are charitable. Um, and this is, this is an important theological issue, particularly as Christians are increasingly becoming minorities in American society. It's, it's, it's quite tenuous to assert uh, any sort of moral superiority to Christians. Um, and I, th I, think, I think we can be honest about this. We should not be surprised uh, when those who, who don't consider themselves Christians, we should not be surprised when we actually see good in them. Um, for we are all made in God's image. I think there's more to what, God, what Jesus is saying here than, than even, even the, uh, the, the doctrine of total depravity, that we're all, we're all bad. Uh, there's something kind of in our motives or something that's you know, kind of self-serving. Yes, I think we can, we can still maintain that. But here, I, th I, think, I think we've got to get more practical and say this is not about who's morally superior. This, this illustration about good tree, good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit, is not about who, like some kind of division of like, who are the good people, who are the bad people. This is actually about who has the right treasure. You don't behave your way into some special status of goodness. Uh, you possess your way you possess the right treasure. And out of the good treasure of your heart, you can do good. Now, what is a treasure? What is a treasure? Treasure, I don't have a real kind of technical um, definition here. It's whatever, whatever you believe will give you hope and security. It's your greatest asset. It's, it's the thing that you value above uh, all other things. And I think uh, in, in, a, in a global pandemic, I think it's a great time to take inventory of, of what our true treasure is. It could be economic stability. It could be a healthy family. It could be job security. It could be playing the market right and optimizing your stimulus or whatever you're kind of banking your safety and security on. It could just be a comfortable, stress-free life. Um, 
Perhaps it's a relationship, a relationship that you have and you feel very blessed to have. Maybe it's a relationship that you long for. Um, treasure, uh, more kind of s- specifically in scripture, is usually kind of uh, divided into earthly treasures and heavenly treasures. Um, wealth seems to be a liability in the valleys of Jesus' kingdom. Uh, and even in this sermon, blessed are the poor. Uh, you can be wealthy and foolish at the same time. Jesus actually gives a parable of, of, of the wealthy fool, and he makes a similar point here as well. And everything we get from our culture, this is how you survive, this is how you thrive. Our, our own hearts point us towards securing and advancing our own futures. But Jesus teaches the very opposite, that the ethics of his kingdom are countercultural, even inconceivable, that we are to put the interests of others before ourselves, even in hard times, actually especially in hard times, as he illustrates here. And of the four gospels, Luke emphasizes uh, Jesus' heart for the poor, for women, for the sick, for the marginalized, more, more than any of the other gospel writers. And so the kind of fruit we should be producing is love for others, whomever others might be to you. I find this especially promising and reorienting in times when Christians are known for just caring for our own tribe, for trying to protect our rights, trying to hold on to whatever social political power we still have remaining. We are called not just to confess that Jesus is Lord and to stay out of trouble. We are to love our enemies, to bless those who curse us, to practice a generosity that that defies self-service and self-protection, to extend mercy in the face of being wronged, Well, um, maybe I can title this sermon The Impossible Fruit-Bearing Project or whatever. Um, I think we can pause and just take a long sigh and, and ask, how can we do this? How is this even possible? Jesus says that the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. There is a fruit that changed everything. There is a fruit that broke our hearts, that made us, that made us incapable of doing any good. And when that fruit, that forbidden fruit, was taken, eaten, and consumed in clear rejection of God's good word, we became cursed. And and we are the bad tree producing bad fruit. The words of Jesus here reminds us that we can't do these things apart from him. 
John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. We cannot do this on our own power. We are addicted to health, wealth, power. We need the spirit of Christ. We cannot do this with whatever inherent goodness remains in, in humans. We must have a new heart. We must have the spirit of Christ. There is a tree uh, on the first pages of Genesis in the first psalm on the first page of the New Testament, a family tree. There's a tree in Jeremiah 17. Um, and a tree was the only thing that killed Jesus. And it was the only thing that he harmed. Trees can survive without humans. We will all die without trees. Jesus calls us to be like a tree rooted in him, bearing the good fruit of the Spirit. He frees us from our bondage to our sins, to our addictions, our earthly addictions to our earthly treasures. And the fruit of our lives should be rooted in the Spirit and not of our flesh, not from our old hearts, but from our new. Jesus not only taught these things, he did these things perfectly. He never asks us to do anything he never did. A, a student is not above his teacher, a few verses prior to this. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And he is not only our teacher here, he is our savior. He saved us not only by his passive obedience, dying on the cross for our sins, but by his active obedience. He is the tree of Psalm 1, of Jeremiah 17, that yields its fruit in season. He is the tree of life uh, that redeems this world from its curses, from utter disaster into a new creation, into a paradise regained. And he calls us now to see him as that beautiful, life-giving tree and to join him, to join him that we also might be bearing fruit in our lives, the good fruit uh, out of love and gratitude for God, out of love and mercy for our neighbors. Would you join me in prayer? Our gracious Father, we give, thank you, we give thanks for the ways that you challenge us. Um, these are not easy um, words to take in. Um, we admit that it's easy to just kind of be complacent and feel defeated. Um, but we also find encouragement here. We find great encouragement through your son who modeled this for us, who gives us everything that we need to please you. He gives us your spirit 
He gives us full access uh, to your throne. And I thank you for this church. I thank you for the ways that this church is continuing to worship and uh, worship you and to uh, um, be um, studying your word and in the ways that uh, they are called to uh, be your light uh, in this area. And Lord, I pray for um, Grace South Shore that you would continue to bless this church. Thank you for uh, Pastor Troy and for the ways that he's uh, laboring here for many years and um, for the great encouragement that he is to so many and for their families. Um, I pray that as they have some time off this week, uh, that that would be a good time of restoration and rest um, together and um, with uh, whomever they are visiting. And so, Lord, we thank you for our time, and we ask that we would continue to put our hope and trust in you, our great treasure. 